Jesus. And so, uh, Luke chapter 8 this morning, if you want to open your Bibles there to Luke chapter 8, uh, we'll begin in verse 1 here in just a minute uh, as we look this morning and continue in this series on the story of Jesus. Luke is laying out for us who is Jesus. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth, and what does it look like for us who are called followers of Jesus? That's what it means to be a Christian. What does it look like for us to follow him? We must know him rightly in order to follow him rightly. And so this morning we're going to land down in the midst of one of the teaching passages, one of Jesus' teaching passages here in the book of Luke, and he's going to put before us a parable. And if you don't know what that is, we'll talk about it more in just a minute But as we look at this particular teaching passage, there is one major theme that's being hammered home in these 21 verses that we're going to look at this morning. He is, Jesus is basically just putting forth one major truth and demonstrating that truth in a variety of ways. Basically what Jesus is doing in our passage this morning is he is pulling back the spiritual veil, if you will, so that we might see what happens every Sunday morning when we gather here in this place. That's what we're going to see here in the scriptures this morning. What Jesus is putting on display is what is happening in the spiritual realm every time that we gather together and sit under the teaching of the Word of God. It happens every time you go to your Sunday school class and open the Word of God together. It happens in our youth ministry every Wednesday night as they're walking through demolishing strongholds and looking to the Word of God as sufficient for truth and for life. It happens every time that our children open up the Word of God together. What Jesus is describing here happens every time sinners like us come face to face with the Word of God. You see, the Word of God will bring forth a response, but the question of our text today is, what will your response be to the Word of God? You see, you will respond in one of these four ways that Jesus is laying out here in this parable. It's called the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, if you will. This will be for us this morning a hearing test. But this is a hearing test that has with it eternal consequences. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to hear well his word this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, once again, I pray the very line of that song that we just sang together. You are the God who flowers each promise of His Word. They are your promises. And you bring them to pass according to your perfect plan, not according to our plan. As we read earlier from Isaiah 55, your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. They are so much higher and deeper, so much more important than ours. So, Lord, as we come hearing your word this morning, I pray that you might gauge our hearing and that we might respond in the way that bears fruit in our lives 
according to your promise. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? We're going to read a fairly lengthy passage of scripture here. But I want you to listen for the emphasis on hearing the word of God as we read this together this morning. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, that's a, that's a summary statement of all of Jesus' ministry. This is what he was about, bringing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And the twelve, his twelve disciples were there with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, just pause for just a moment. Jesus was unique in terms of the rabbis, the teachers of his time. No other rabbi in first century Judaism would have, had, would have recognized women as a part of his ministry, but Jesus does. And he recognizes their crucial importance to his ministry in providing for him and his disciples. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to, after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some seed fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that, and he quotes here from Isaiah chapter 6, his son, the same purpose that God gave to Isaiah, he gave to his son Jesus, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter the house may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And then here's the theme, verse 18. Take care then how you hear for to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away then his mother and brothers came to him but they could not reach him because of the crowd and he was told your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you but he answered them and said my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of god 
and do it. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. So the main theme today in Jesus' teaching here in Luke chapter 8 is about hearing the word of God. How will we hear? That is the main question that comes from this test, this hearing test. How is your hearing? All of us who are here this morning will be impacted by the Word of God. The Word of God says of itself in Hebrews chapter 4 that it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. In, in the book of 1 Timothy, it says that, that the Word of God is useful, is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking us, for training us in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we read in Isaiah 55, the Word of God will accomplish exactly the purpose for which God sends it. But you'll notice that the difference maker is the heart that receives the word. And so Jesus gives this parable to describe four different responses that we might have to the word of God. These four soils represent four types of hearts that hearing the word respond in different ways. And once again this morning, these four types of hearts, these four soils, if you will, are present right here this morning. These four types of, of hearts are present right here this morning. And so the scriptures are begging the question of us, which are you? And so let's look first at the four types of soils. Jesus shares this in a parable. This was one of Jesus' primary ways of teaching was through parables. It's been said that a parable is an, an earthly story with a, a heavenly meaning, but basically a, a parable was a story or a metaphor that Jesus would use to communicate spiritual truth. And so he's trying to relay to, the, us to, the, to relay to us the thoughts of God that are so much higher than our thoughts, so much deeper than our thoughts. We, we can't understand and comprehend the things of God. And so Jesus is seeking to communicate spiritual truth in a way that we can receive. And so he uses stories. He uses the common everyday things like a sower going out, a farmer going out into his field to sow seed. Something that we will see here in our agricultural community here in just a few months. Praise be to God, the winter will not last forever. We, we will see those days come when the tractors come out again and they're tilling up the soil and seeds are being planted and before long things will begin to pop up from the soil and we'll see those things grow and by the time fall rolls around we'll see the harvest. It's a regular part of life and in an agricultural setting like Jesus was ministering in or, or like we have here in Breckenridge County, we see this, we know it, we understand it and so he was taking what they understood farming and putting it side by side with what they didn't firmly understand, which was faith. And he's teaching them his ways through the common everyday things. A parable, literally the word parable means to throw alongside or to cast alongside. And the idea is he was taking this story and casting it alongside truth so that the truth could be understood by some, but also, as you'll notice, so that it could be concealed from others come back to that thought here in a minute four types of hearts four types of soils in receiving the seed of the word of God first one is the hardened heart 
Here's what we'd say about the hardened heart. The hardened heart is a flattened heart where the word of God is easily devoured by the devil. And and the picture that Jesus was painting here would have been very common in that day. They they didn't have tractors and machinery in those days. They would go through their fields sowing seed by hand. And they would have a path that went between the rows. And as they walked along that path over the course of time, that path would become more and more hardened by the foot traffic. Think about that picture for a moment. The hardened heart is one who has been hardened by the foot traffic of life. They've been trampled on by their circumstances. They've been hardened by sufferings. They've been continually made into almost a form of concrete by the broken relationships that have happened in their lives, by the abuse that they've sustained. All around us, we see folks that have been hardened by the things of this life. And when the Word of God comes to bear in those hearts at times the word of God cannot penetrate the hardened heart not because of the insufficiency of the word but because of the hardness of the heart and so the seed lies on surface level and is easily snatched away by the devil before it can take root and bear any fruit whatsoever here today there are hardened hearts some who will walk away the seed of the word of God never penetrating beyond the surface and snatched away. The second type of heart that we see here I would call the hollow heart. The hollow heart is a, a fickle heart where the word of God is not snatched away. It simply fades away because of the temptations of the flesh. And so Jesus says this is like the seed that's thrown upon the rock. And you say, well, what's the difference between the seed thrown upon the rock and the seed thrown upon the path? Well, the difference is you you need to understand what farming looks like in Israel. You see, in many places in Israel, just inches below the surface, there is a solid layer of limestone rock that very little can penetrate. And so on the surface... It looks just like good soil. But you dig down just a few inches and you will find this solid sheet of rock that nothing can penetrate. And so what Jesus is saying here is that there are some who look like good soil. The seed falls upon them and it's implanted and it springs up quickly. You can think about grass growing up through your driveway It springs up quickly, but then the heat of the sun comes and it withers away just as quickly as it had sprung up. He says, that's what this hollow heart looks like. There's nothing for the seed to take root in, and so it withers away just as quickly as it sprang up. This is a fickle heart. A heart that is turned this way and that by every wind of teaching, as Paul writes about in the book of Ephesians. A heart that will listen to anything and be led by everything, but never be grounded and never bear true fruit. And so the temptations of the flesh arise and the word does not have its full effect. Some in this room today are the hollow heart. Second, the third type of soil, the third type of heart is the huddled heart. You could call it the crowded 
heart. This is a fretful heart where the word is worried away by the things of this world. He says it's like those seeds that fall among the thorns, among the thistles, among the weeds. This reminds me, uh, just a few years ago, uh, my family, uh, we tried an experiment uh, of a family garden. It did not go well. Uh, In fact, it bore absolutely no fruit whatsoever. We grew a lot of weeds, really good weeds. But we did not end up with anything to show for our family garden. Everything was choked out by the fact that we didn't weed it well. We didn't fertilize it right. Many of you could show me how that's supposed to be done. We've just learned for our family, we're just going to enjoy the fruit of your gardens. That's what we're going to do. Some of you are so faithful to provide that for us. Uh, We're just going to give that whole deal up because some of you know how to do that well and we don't. But the picture here is of one who's the, the fruit that's meant to be grown is choked out by the weeds. And the weeds represent the worries of this life, the cares of this life. But also notice he says the pleasures of this life. You might think that the weeds are just the worries and cares of this life. But he also says it's the pleasures of this life that can choke out the word of God. That's the danger of this this hideous form of the gospel that's being proclaimed today in our country known as the prosperity gospel. A a gospel that says God just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. He he only wants you to enjoy uh, the good things of life. Uh, Be aware. The good things in life can choke out the word of God in you just as much as the difficult things. This is a heart that is captivated by worry. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, do not worry. God's got this. That's the subtext of his teaching about worry. Do not worry. Trust God because worry is is something that will easily take the word of God away from you and take you away from the God of the word. Then finally, the fourth type of heart and the one that I pray would be so evident here today is the healthy heart. But how do we know for this heart, this healthy heart, it is a fruitful heart where the word of God is heard and held and has its full effect in the life. That the word of God brings forth fruit. Well, what kind of fruit does the word of God bring forth? What are we talking about when we speak about fruit? Well, first of all, the word of God produces faith. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Faith doesn't come from seeing. Faith doesn't come from experiencing. We are in such an experience-driven culture that if folks don't have an experience to back up a truth, they don't think it's true. But that's not the way the word of God works. God is not always going to give you an experience to confirm his word. Remember what the Pharisees asked him, show us a sign, Jesus. And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given you, but what God has already given you in his word. Faith comes from hearing. That's one of the fruits, faith in the Lord. Another fruit, responding in obedience. We're going to see here that's so huge in Jesus' teachings. Again, don't get the cart before the horse. We're not trying to earn the favor of God through our obedience. That ship has already sailed. 
There is no earning the favor and love of God through your obedience. It's now that God has shown me His love and His grace through the cross of Christ and the salvation. We're saying the Lord is my salvation. Now that, now that I've recognized that, now, now obedience becomes a gift that I can give to God. I'm now freed up to obedience in a way that I wasn't free when I was a slave to sin. And so the fruit of obedience, the fruit of unity in the body of Christ, Growing in love for one another. A oneness that develops. Go read John, Jesus' prayer in John 17 and see what Jesus desires for his church to be. Why is the greatest commandment love God and love one another? Because this displays the heart of God and the people of God. And so we find this unity in the body. Another fruit, integrity in our lives. Christ-like character being formed in us. Uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit being formed in us. All the Galatians 5, is just basically there, the fruit of the Spirit is a demonstration of the character of Christ. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what the character of Christ looks like, and that's formed in us as the Word of God takes root in us and bears fruit in us. And finally, a measuring stick that I think is so huge, a piece of the puzzle that is so huge for us in seeing the fruit that comes from hearing the Word of God rightly, thanksgiving. A thankful heart is a fruitful heart. And the more that we see thanksgiving abiding, the more we see gratitude taking hold of our hearts and griping being cast out of our hearts, the more we see the work of God as His seed takes root and bears fruit in our lives. We could talk about other things, but those are just a few. Let me ask this question of us before we move on. How does the good soil become good? Now, we could be quick to think, well, it's just good. There's good soil, there's bad soil. It's not the picture, though, that we find in Scripture. And it's not even the picture that we find in life. Now, there may be some soil that tends to have uh, more nutrients. There may be, but, but at the end of the day, good soil becomes good because of the work of the sower. The farmer works the soil in preparation for the seed. And so how is it that the good seed, the good soil, the good heart, the healthy heart, how, what makes it what it is? You see, the good soil becomes good when it's plowed by pain and suffering. God has a purpose in your pain. Let me say that to you again. God has a purpose, a scriptural purpose purpose in your pain we love romans 8 28 don't we and god works everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose we put it on bumper stickers we we have it everywhere we highlight it in our bibles does that include your pain and suffering yes please understand when he says he works all things for the good he is including the difficult things and praise be to god for that that he has a purpose in our pain that there is a reason for our suffering, that God is doing something there. He is bringing forth fruit there in a way that could not happen in any other way. The good soil is also good because it's cultivated by conflict. 
Now, we don't like conflict. Most of us, your pastor, I'm a, I'm a classic conflict avoider. I had to work through that very di- in difficult ways early in, in my marriage because my wife is, is not that. She would chase me down the hallway. I'm going to make you talk. And I'd clam up, you know, that whole deal. But, but God uses conflict in our lives. Some of us, when we, think, when we hear conflict, we automatically think, bad deal. I want to stay away from that. God uses conflict in our lives to grow us in Christ-likeness. If you, if you think that Jesus' ministry was without conflict, you have not read the New Testament. He is constantly in conflict with people and powerful, important people of the day. And yet God was working mightily in that. And he will do the same thing. He will cultivate Christ-like character through the working out of conflict in, in our lives. And finally... The good soil becomes good when it's fertilized by failure. If you do not think that our loving and gracious God will come and bring a dump load truck full of dung into your life, then I pray that you would meet the God of the Scriptures. I know how we talk about these things around the church. We love to give God an out by using phrases like, well, we know God allows those things. As if he's not sovereign over them. We will talk about it and give God an excuse as if he needs an excuse. And we'll say, well, I know that God wasn't really doing that. And yet look in the scriptures And see the heart of God that he will bring a dump truck load of dung and he will scatter it in your life in the hopes that you would receive his word and bring forth fruit for his kingdom. Because he is more concerned about your eternal destination and your eternal reality than the temporal consequences that you're facing right now. Now hear me clearly, I am not saying he is unconcerned with the consequences you're facing right now he is deeply concerned but he is so deeply concerned with your consequences that his plan and purpose is to bring forth in your life through that duck load that duck truck load full of dung he is so adamant that he is going to bring something good out of that and only he can do it and so if that's you today Perhaps you're right in the middle of that pain, that suffering, that conflict, that failure. Look to God. Trust Christ. And watch what He does as a result. A couple more things before we finish this morning. He shifts gears just a little bit in verse 16 and talks with us. He shares with us a parable that, that shows that a faith that shines. He shifts gears from the the picture of the farmer in the field to now it's the homemaker in the house and she is lighting a lamp as they would in those days. There's no light switches in first century uh, Israel. They lit an oil lamp and, and no one would light the lamp and stick it under their bed or put it under a box. First of all, it's gonna catch your bed on fire or it's gonna go out, okay? And, and even beyond that, You put it on a stand. There was a particular place that they would set it in the house to provide the maximum light for those who were in the home. 
Think about that picture in relation to the truth of God's Word. As we hold up the Word of God in our church, as we proclaim the the mysteries of the faith, as we hold up this light of God's truth, we, we are urging folks, come to the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so we're urging, come to Christ. See the light. We don't want to hide Him under a barrel. we, We want to see the light of Christ in abundance among us. And so there's two main ideas here. First of all, we see that the true hearer of the Word becomes a herald of the Word. Now, yes, there are uh, certain ones among us that are called to this pastoral ministry of, of preaching the word from this pulpit. But all of us are called to be proclaimers, heralds of the word of God. And here's one way that you'll know the word of God is being implanted in good soil in your hearts. When it becomes like it was for Jeremiah, a fire in your bones and you have to let it out. You've got to tell somebody about that great treasure that you discovered in your Bible reading on Monday morning. You've got to share with someone about that great sermon that you heard in the, on the podcast on Wednesday on the way to work. You've got to share these things because you understand when, when your heart is good in such a way that the Word is implanted and bearing fruit, a part of that fruit is going to be the sharing of that Word in the lives of others. You can't help it. When the seed is planted... In good soil, it can't help but rise up in good fruit. That's God's design. He brings forth the harvest. Romans 10 reminds us, But how then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then he quotes from the book of Isaiah once again. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that is not reserved for pastors. That was written to all of us. That we might have the beautiful feet of those who bring the good news where it is needed the most. So we find that's one aspect one piece of fruit in relation to hearing the Word of God. But then there's also kind of a motto for the hearer that comes out in the rest of this little passage here. And the hero's motto is basically, the hearer's motto is this, do it or lose it. And so what he's saying here basically in verses 16 through 18, take care then how you hear. Again, that's the theme. You might underline and and highlight anything you can do to those words because that's that's the theme here in Luke chapter 8. Take care how you hear for the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away that sounds a little bit confusing let me break that down just a little bit think about your physical capacities now some of us in this room could run a 5k somebody even could run a marathon some of us couldn't run across the street without getting out of breath so we have different physical capacities but this is true this is true If you cease to exercise those physical capacities, you will lose them. If you spend 24-7 in your lazy boy, before long, you won't be able to get up and walk. Same thing with our mental capacities. 
There are some in here who, who, who have earned you know, advanced degrees. There, there are some who skated through by the skin of their teeth in high school. There are some that didn't even, didn't even do that. We all have different uh, capacities overall, but this is true. If you cease to exercise your mental capabilities, you will eventually lose them. Maybe not as quickly as your physical capabilities, but you will eventually, if you cease to read and grow and be a lifelong learner that I would encourage you so heavily to be, if you cease from that, there will come a time when those capacities will flee from you. Amen. Why would we think it's any different, spiritually speaking? Why would we think that the God who gave us our bodies and gave us our minds would do anything different in relation to our spirits. But here's what we do. It's a one-and-done mentality. We even take that parable of the sower and we put it strictly in a salvation context. There are those who are going to hear the word and be saved, and then, and then there's, there's these other slackers that we've talked about. That's, that's not the fullness of the picture. It's not a one and done. I want you to think back for a moment to the parable of the sower. For those farmers that are here in the room this morning, will last year's seed planted in your field be enough to produce the crop for this year? No. No farmer in this room is going to rely on last year, the seed you planted last year, to bring up that field of corn or soybeans or whatever it is. That, you're not going to rely upon that. You're going to go out here in the spring. You're going to plow up that earth again. You're going to plant new seed there, and then it's going to bring forth fruit. You would look at anybody who was relying on last year's seed to produce this year's crop as a fool. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way spiritually, folks. If all you are relying on is the word of God that you heard 20 years ago and the response that you made 20 years ago and there has not been a continuing planting of the word of God in your life and a continuing walking in obedience to the word of God in your life and a continued fire for the God of the word in your life. If you're simply looking back to some experience that you had with the Lord way back when and that has not continued to grow and produce fruit as the word of God continues to be planted in you as you continue to hear and to respond to the word of God, then let me say to you this morning, that's not God's desire for you he did not save you so you could just sit and stew in the sanctuary until he comes back for you he saved you that you might grow in Christ that you might flourish in your faith that you might continue to press forward in things of God. And I know, I know, I want to be very careful here. I know that oftentimes it looks like three steps forward and two steps back, or sometimes even worse, it's two steps forward and three steps back in terms of our, of our faith. That's why I encourage you, don't look at your spiritual growth in terms of weeks, days, even, even in terms of months. You've got to look at it over the course of years. And so if you look back Five years ago, did you love, do you love people more now? Are you a better at loving people now than you were five years ago? You see, by God's grace, you will be as you grow in Christ. Are you more passionate about the things of God now than you were ten years ago? You see, by God's grace, you will be because that's His plan and desire for you. 
And again, these things will ebb and flow, and they will come and go. Just like you think about the harvest that the farmers have. Some years is a great harvest, other years not so much. But there's always a harvest. There's always fruit that's born. And so he calls us, as James does in James 1, to be doers of the word and not hearers only because there's a deception. Be very careful. I would say to you, with a little bit of trepidation, the most dangerous place to be is on church, in church on Sunday morning and to be one of those first three soils. Proximity will not get you to heaven. Only personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that bears fruit in your life is a guarantee of the glory that God has set before his people. Finally, one last picture. Jesus has a living parable that comes. His family shows up. By this time, most likely... Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, has died. We don't know that for certain, but he never appears again after the birth narrative. Most likely he was quite a bit older uh, than Mary was. That was the common practice of the day. So his mother and his, if you will, half-brothers show up, Mary and Joseph's children that they had together. They show up to spend a little time with the firstborn son. Let's look at Jesus' response. This is really kind of staggering if you begin to think about it. Verse 19, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. It was so crowded that they couldn't get to him. And so, and he was told, so word has passed through the crowd, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to see you. Now you would think that the response of Jesus, a man who, who most assuredly loved his mother and loved his family, you would think that the response of Jesus would be, hey, make way. Let's make a gap in the crowd so that, so that my mom and brothers can come and they can sit here right in the front row. He doesn't say that, does he? He responds in a way that almost seems a little rude. By the way, for those who have the picture of meek and mild, gentle Jesus, Jesus said a whole lot of things that if you understand them in their context come across as a little rude. But he said every one of them in love because he's, what he's doing here is he's wanting them to teach us something about the family of faith. And he says to them, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And don't take it wrongly. Jesus, I don't believe, was demeaning his mother or his brothers in that moment. He, he was not saying he didn't care for them or, 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 or just ignoring them. But he took that moment as a spiritual opportunity right there. To, this would be a living parable. Jesus took that moment and was going to bring spiritual truth to bear there right in the midst of his own story. And he said, let me tell you what true family looks like. And so this is the last point this morning. The family that stays. That there is a family that abides that goes far beyond bloodline. And he wanted them to understand that which was eternal versus that which was temporal. That's what Jesus is always pointing people to. He's wanting them to see there is something that's going to outlive this life. And if you want to be a part of that, it's only going to come through faith in me. He's continually bringing people back. 
the first point is this, the family that stays together, obeys together. Jesus said, this is what my family looks like. It's those who hear the word of God and they evidence their hearing by obedience. In John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's simple. Now again, do not get the cart before the horse. He is not saying, earn my love through your obedience. That is not the gospel in any way, shape, or form. You cannot love, earn the love of God through your obedience, through your works, through your efforts. The love of God is given freely as an act of His grace through the price that was paid at the cross of Jesus Christ for you. It is a free gift. But when you receive that free gift, here's what happens. Now, you are given the opportunity to give back to God a gift which is obedience. An obedience that you couldn't do before because you were so wrapped up in self and sin. But now that Jesus comes in and saves you, he frees you up from slavery to sin and self and enables you now to walk in an obedience that you couldn't walk in before. And, and, and it's an act of worship that we, that we do unto God to show love to him that we keep his commandments. But he's also saying something just a little bit deeper here. And I don't want us to miss it. Because church, there is such a tendency in our culture, especially in a community like ours that is very family-oriented, though less than it used to be, to idolize, to worship at the altar of family. And Jesus makes this statement. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. What he's saying is this, that our faith family eclipses our first family. Now again, do not hear me wrongly. I'm not saying you can ignore your family of origin if you're a follower of Jesus. That's not his point. But I am saying let's be careful, folks. Because there is a very real reality that Jesus is putting in front of us. That our faith in those who are following Jesus Christ in loving obedience to his commands who are part of his church, rescued by his blood and for his glory, that there is a very real reality that that's the family you're going to be with forever. So there's a place, church, where I would say to us, so let's start acting like it. Because so often, it seems as though, what, what we often see in the Americanized version of Christianity that, that we participate in, it often seems as though the church family is second at best, if even on the map of our priorities. But Jesus is saying, this is the family that's going to last forever. Those who love me and walk in obedience to my commands, who hear my word and do it. This is your eternal family. So make it a priority. And so we come to this place. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we open the Word of God together. We hear the proclamation of God's Word and the parable of the soils comes to reality in our midst. As I already said this morning, those four soils are here today. We come Sunday after Sunday and we see the Word of God held high, the light of God's truth shining in our midst. And the question is, will we take that light and share it with others or will we hide it under the bushel? And then we look and we see the Word of God saying to us, 
there is a forever family of which you are a part through faith in Jesus Christ that needs to have priority in your life. Not that your first family, not that your family of origin is unimportant, but what he is saying is this family will last forever. So start living in light of that truth. And we'll end with 1 John chapter 3. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. The kind of love that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. I pray today that the most defining characteristic of your identity would not be husband, would not be wife, would not be father, would not be mother, would not be your occupation, would not be your education, would not be how much money you have or don't have in your bank account. That you're the most defining characteristic in your life would be this. I am a child of God through the saving grace of my God, through faith in Jesus Christ. He loved me and he gave himself for me. And therefore, I am a child of God. That would be the most defining. Because see, you see, if you have that as the most defining characteristic, then it will change the way you do everything else. If being a child of God is first, dads in this room, it will change the way you do the role of father. If you understand that you are primarily a child of God, moms in this room, grandmothers in this room, it will change the way you fulfill that role. Teachers in this room, you will teach differently when you recognize that you are a child of God that has been rescued by the ultimate teacher, Jesus Christ. Factory workers in this room, you, you will be able to work as unto the Lord knowing that you've been rescued by His grace and for His glory. So you, every role in your life will be radically altered if you simply recognize what Jesus is trying to put in front of us here. You are a child of God through faithful obedience to Him. Rescued by His grace. And once again, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How's your hearing this morning? 